Well, for our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be turning to the book of James in the New Testament. The book of James is a letter that was written to early followers of Jesus who were trying to put the teachings of Jesus into practice in their own lives. It was written by a man named James, and many people believe that the James who wrote this letter was the same James who was the brother of Jesus and one of the most important teachers and leaders in the early church. The book of James, even now, 2,000 years after it was written, is filled with wisdom and practical guidance and advice that relates to our lives as we try to follow Jesus today. And for the next several weeks, we're going to hear a little bit of this letter each, each Sunday in worship. This morning, we're going to start with a passage from the first chapter of the book of James. Open your heart, open your ears, listen for God's voice as our friend Eli shares with us a passage from the first chapter of James's letter to the church. James 12 through 16. Blessed is the one who preserves under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who loved him. I mean, love him. When, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after a desire has conceived it, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives death, I mean, birth to death. Don't be deceived. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So just about 20 years and one month ago, I was engaged and I was getting ready to get married. Now my fiance and I had been living in the Upper Peninsula, but the wedding was gonna happen downstate. And so just a couple days before the wedding was supposed to happen, we loaded up our cars, I loaded up my car, she packed up her car, and we started driving south for the, the long drive downstate around through Chicago. Now uh, that day, for some reason, we hit the road late. It took us longer to get out the door than we thought. And so we hit the north side of Chicago right around four o'clock in the afternoon, just at the very beginning of the Chicago rush hour, which was a, a terrible time to be driving into Chicago. You know, very quickly, in about a quarter of a mile, we went from a comfortable 70 miles an hour to absolutely gridlock stop and go traffic. Back in those days, I was driving a, a sweet little car. I had a Dodge Neon. It had a, a spoiler on the back and it had a manual transmission. And that car was an awful lot of fun to drive, except when you got stuck in gridlocked stop and go traffic. Now, for 45 minutes, I sat there in that traffic and I worked the clutch. I put the car in gear. I took the car out of gear. I put the car in gear. I took the car out of gear. And in that 45 minutes, we managed to go all of about a half a mile into the city of Chicago. After an hour and a half of, of working the clutch in that traffic, my, my clutch foot had a cramp and my back was sore and, and I was just ready to get through there and get to where we were going. And then finally, after an hour and a half of being stuck in that terrible traffic, we saw a little bit of daylight, a little bit of space began to open up in front of us. Traffic finally started moving again. And so I waited until there was a space in front of me, and then I put the gas pedal down to the floor, and I popped the clutch, and that's when I heard something go bang, and the clutch pedal suddenly went all floppy. 
Now, I later learned that I had blown a clutch cable. I didn't know that at the time. All that I knew was that I couldn't put the car into gear. I tried first gear, I tried second gear, third, fourth. I even tried putting the car into fifth gear, but I couldn't get any of the gears to engage. And so I was stuck in the middle of five lanes of rush hour interstate traffic on the north side of Chicago. I was stuck in that traffic. And then as I realized I was stuck, I look up and had the very worst moment of that day, one of the worst moments of my life, in fact, I looked up just in time to see the taillights of my wife's car disappear into a swirl of Chicago rush hour traffic. I can't think of any moments in my life when I felt more alone than I did in that moment. There I was 48 hours before I was supposed to get married, stranded in the middle of the interstate. People were blowing past me at 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. That little car was rocking every time one of those big trucks went past and, and people as they drove by were leaning on their horns just to let me know that they cared and, and people were giving me all sorts of friendly Chicago style hand gestures just to encourage me to, to get moving. And as I sat there in the middle of all of that traffic, I felt completely alone and abandoned in the world. Nobody in the world knew what had happened. Nobody in the world knew where I was. I was completely alone and I had no idea what I was going to do. And that's when I remembered my cell phone. Now, four years earlier, when I went off to college, my grandparents gave me an amazing gift. I have these grandparents who, who love me and take good care of me. And when I went off to college, they, they thought that I should have a cell phone just in case of emergencies. And so they went down to the Radio Shack. Kids, you're going to have to ask your parents what Radio Shack was all about. And they, they spared no expense. They picked out a state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line cell phone for, for me to take with me to college. Now, those of you who are younger than I am, and especially teenagers, will have a hard time appreciating just what an incredible gift that was. Now, back in those days, in the middle of the 1990s, I didn't know anybody who had a cell phone. Now, maybe if you were some sort of a, a rich oil tycoon, you had a, a car phone in your limousine, but I didn't know any normal, ordinary people who had a cell phone. I was the first person I knew who, who had one of these devices. And you need to understand what you're picturing in your head right now, young people, is not, not at all what my grandparents gave me. Now, I would describe the cell phone that they gave me to you, but it would probably be easier to, to show it to you. I've kept it all of these years, and, and this week I pulled it out of storage so that I could, I could show you today what exactly my very first cell phone looked like. This is, this is the cell phone that my grandparents gave me when I went off to college. Now, now, when I got it on the box, on the outside of the box, the, the Radio Shack brand bragged that this cell phone was so small, you could actually carry it around in a backpack, which was amazing. The technology had come that far. If you take a look, you can see this thing that, that looks like a golf club. That's the antenna. And if you wanted to make a call, you just pick up the receiver and, and dial, and, and then you hold it like this. This is the cell phone that my grandparents gave me just to use in case of emergencies as I was driving back and forth to college. Now, it wasn't, wasn't as practical as cell phones that we have today, and so I didn't use it very often. 
In fact, in my four years of, of driving back, to forth and back and forth to college, I, I think I probably only used that cell phone one time. Most of the time, I, I just left it in my car and I didn't even remember that it was there. I had completely forgotten that I owned a cell phone until suddenly, 48 hours before my wedding, I found myself stuck in the middle of the interstate on the north side of Chicago. And I, I suddenly realized that I had a lifeline. I had a way of reaching out and calling for help. I had a way of, of letting people know where I was. And so I took out the phone and I started dialing. First, the uh, number I called was for emergency assistance to get a, a tow truck to come and, and pick me up out from the middle of the highway there. And then while I was waiting for the tow truck to come, I called a friend of mine who lives in Chicago and, and he offered to give me a place to spend the night while my car was being repaired. And then I used the cell phone to call my mom and let her know how I was doing because it's always a good time to, to call your mom even when you're stuck in the middle of the interstate on the north side of Chicago. And then came the hard part. Then I had to figure out how, how to reach my fiance. Now she didn't have a, a cell phone, but we had agreed that if we got separated in traffic in Chicago, that we would meet up at a speedway station that was on the other side of Chicago, just, just across the Indiana state line. And so I used my cell phone to call directory assistance and then together the operator and I started calling around to speedway stations in Northwest Indiana trying to find the right one. Every time somebody picked up the phone, I, I would say, I know this is gonna sound weird, but is there a pretty blonde woman crying in your gas station? And on about the seventh or eighth gas station that we tried, the, the man who answered the phone said, well, yes, there, there is a pretty blonde woman crying in the gas station. And I said, oh, thank goodness, I, I would really like to talk to her. And so he handed the phone to my fiance and I explained to her what had happened. And I said, no, I, I didn't turn around. I do still want to get married. And, and that's what happened two days later. We, we walked down the aisle. The story has a happy ending in large part thanks to, thanks to that amazing gift my grandparents gave me thanks to that incredible funny looking cell phone. Now this week, this Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series that we're calling the, the Tech Commandments. In the 20 years since I used that cell phone to get out of trouble, cell phones and, and the internet and social media have only become more and more a part of our lives. And that process has only accelerated in the last few months. These days, people who were barely on the internet at all six months ago are now using the internet and using cell phones to, to worship and to do their shopping and to keep in touch with, with their grandkids. Now these days we use our cell phones for, for all sorts of things that we never would have dreamed we could have used them for. They've become, they've become a part of our lives. And, and these new technologies, these new ways of being connected are, are changing the world and they're changing us. And so for the next several weeks in worship, we're going to, to have a conversation about what all of these new technologies and what of all, of all of these new forms of media mean for us as, as human beings and his followers of Jesus. And I wanted to tell you that story about, about being stuck in traffic on the north side of Chicago today so you would understand what, what I'm not going to do for the next few weeks. Now, these next several weeks, I'm not going to stand up here in front of you and tell you that all of these technologies are bad. 
I'm not going to to tell you that we all need to stop being Methodist and that we should suddenly become Amish. I'm not going to tell you that these technologies are evil because the truth is I don't think these technologies are evil. I think that that these technologies are, are pretty wonderful and sometimes they're even miraculous. I have a new cell phone these days. It doesn't look very much like the one that that I just showed you. And I use this new cell phone that I have to do almost everything I do. Do you know what the first sound is that I hear every day when I wake up in the morning? It's my cell phone telling me that it's time to get out of bed. And then when I'm brushing my teeth, I listen to music with my cell phone. And then as I'm eating breakfast, I use the cell phone to, to read the news. And then as I'm on my way out the door to to work, I use my cell phone to check my calendar and see what appointments I have. And sometimes I use it to to pull up maps and find my way to those appointments. And I use my cell phone to do research for sermons. And I use the cell phone to record, record those sermons like I'm doing right now. I'm talking, I'm talking into my cell phone. These days we use our cell phones to do almost everything. These these devices are almost always in our hands or, or close to our hands. And of course, that's the problem. Because these devices are almost always just just close at hand, and because they're designed to grab our attention and to keep our attention, these cell phones, these devices represent a powerful temptation to look down at the screen and tune out the world and the people around us, the people God has given us to love. A few years ago, a a pediatrician noticed this thing that was happening in her office. She noticed more and more parents were were bringing children into her waiting room and then immediately taking out their phones and looking at the screens and not paying attention to their their children. And so she decided that she was going to to do an experiment just to find out how, how big of a problem this was. And what she did was she started going to a fast food restaurant week after week, month after month. For more than a, a year, she went to the same fast food restaurant and she would sit in a table off to the corner and then she would watch for, for families to bring in their children to, to sit down at a table and to eat dinner together. And over the course of that year, she watched and observed and took notes about what she saw. And I wonder, can you guess what it is she discovered in that year that she was watching these families at this restaurant sit down to eat together? You probably can. In that year of watching families sit down to eat dinner together, in 70% of the families she observed, the parents took out their cell phones the minute they sat down at the table. In more than half of the families she observed, the parents kept out their cell phones and stared at their cell phones through the entire meal. And she wasn't the only one who noticed how fixated all of these parents were on their cell phones. The children noticed too. And over the course of that year, over and over again, she watched as the same scene played out in that restaurant. The children would try to get their parents' attention with increasing desperation. They made noise, they acted up, they threw hamburgers across the restaurant. But of course, none none of these efforts actually made their parents look up or put down their cell phones. Instead, all it did was make their parents irritable and crabby so that by the time they left the restaurant, everyone in the family was angry and resentful and snapping at each other. Right around the same time this pediatrician was running her experiment, another group of researchers interviewed 1,000 children. 
And in these interviews, they asked these children to talk to them about their parents' cell phones. And in these 1,000 interviews, they found that the same words kept coming up, the same words kept being used by these children over and over and over again. The words sad, angry, lonely. Children told stories about hiding their parents' cell phones. Children told stories about dropping their parents' cell phones into the toilet. Children told stories about putting their parents' cell phones in the microwave and trying to, to fry them, the, the cell phones to death. And in one particularly heartbreaking interview, a, a little girl, in talking about her father's cell phone, said to the interviewer, she said, my daddy thinks I'm boring. Whenever his phone makes a noise, he always picks it up and looks at it, but he doesn't pay attention to me that way. My daddy thinks I'm boring, she said. Now, it would be really easy for me at this point in the sermon to start giving you advice, steps that you can take in order to set yourself free from, from these devices that are always in our pockets, always close at hand. If you've ever owned one of these devices, then, then, you know, then you know the temptation that they present us with. You know exactly what the Apostle James is talking about in this morning's scripture reading when he talks about the desire that gives birth to temptation and the temptation that lures us and entices us until we finally look down at the screen and tune out everyone and everything around us, the temptation that lures and entices us until temptation gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. And that's exactly what happens when we pay so much attention to these devices that we stop paying attention to the people God has given us to love, the world God has given us to heal and care for. And it would be so easy for me right now to, to give advice and commandments. The name of this sermon series is The Tech Commandments. And at this point in the sermon, it would be so easy for me to start giving you commandments and rules and steps that you can take to, to break the hold that these devices have over you. It would be so easy for me to say something like, thou shalt not bring thy phone to the dinner table. Or maybe I could say something like, once a week, I recommend that you, you take a Sabbath from screens, from TV screens, cell phone screens, tablet screens, computer screens. Take a, a technology Sabbath one day a week. It would be so easy for me to, to give you that sort of advice, those sorts of rules and commandments right now. But I'm not going to do that. One of the reasons I'm not going to do that is because if I were to start giving you advice on on how to overcome the temptation to constantly be checking your devices and technology and social media, then I would feel like an enormous hypocrite. You know, my family would be happy to tell you that this is one area in my life, this is one area in my walk with Jesus where I still struggle. I'm still working out my relationship with these devices and technologies. And so I'm not going to, to give you advice this morning about how to break free. You're gonna have to work out Work out the steps to, to getting control over these devices and breaking the control they have over you all by yourself. What I am going to leave you with today, what I am going to offer you today is a promise. It's the same promise that the Apostle James offers us in this morning's scripture reading. In today's scripture reading, the Apostle James says, there is a blessing that waits for anyone 
who is able to resist temptation. If we can call out to God in that moment of temptation, if we can recognize that temptation for what it is, if we can recognize that temptation as a, a spiritual force that has, has become a part of this technology and tries to pull us away from where we are and the people we are with, if we can recognize that temptation and resist it, James tells us, then there is a blessing waiting for us. If we just look up, we will see that we are surrounded by blessings that are more enriching, more soul-satisfying, more life-giving than anything we will ever find looking down at that screen. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to recognize temptation. God, we pray that you would save us from the living death that happens when we pay more attention to screens than we do to the people in the world you have given us to love. God, in those moments when we are not strong enough to resist temptation, we pray that you would give us your strength, fill us with your spirit, that we might discover your blessings. In Jesus we pray, amen.